0: Morning, everyone. Thanks, David. During uh, July and August, we've been looking at and and learning from some of the unsung heroes of Scripture, Uh, people like Jason, who, although relatively unknown, uh, played a significant part in the growth and the development of the early church. If you didn't realize there was a Jason in the Bible, uh, check out Acts 17 or listen to the podcast from the 12th of July. But today we're going to read a familiar story involving a well-known Bible character called Gideon, who is a definite hero of the Christian faith, an A-lister, but wrapped up in his story are a group of unsung heroes who don't always get the publicity I think they deserve. And so if you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn to Judges uh, chapter 7, it's page 249 in the Red Pew Bibles. And we're gonna read the first 22 verses, but just as you look that up, let me give you some background. Around this time in history, the Israelites, the people of God, kept losing their way, kept doing their own thing, and as a result, they ended up in a mess, getting kicked from pillar to post by various enemies. And God would then step in, and He would raise up a judge, or a deliverer, or a rescuer, who would save the Israelites and then create and establish some level of stability and peace. There were 12 judges in total. Gideon was number five. The judge before him was Deborah. And following her leadership, the land enjoyed relative peace for something like 40 years. But if Israel eventually drifted, and then they lost focus again as they were prone to do. And so, another enemy came along, the Midianites, this time. And they created havoc and caused mayhem for Israel, to Israel, for seven long years. And in the midst of their despair and in their misery, and this kind of became the pattern, Israel would turn back to God. And they would cry out to God for help. And God, in His grace and in His mercy, we'd raise up a new judge. Enter Gideon. Now Gideon didn't really think he was up to it. In fact, here's how he responded whenever he got the call. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And that sense of inadequacy never left Gideon. And so although he has become a bit of a hero, he never saw himself as one. And throughout his story, he kept having to check with God that he hadn't made some kind of mistake. And so, he did the whole fleece thing. Did it a couple of times. Not recommended, but that's for a whole other time. He was trying to test if God was really serious. Plus, we read that God had to send Gideon, an angel of the Lord, with a personal message to assure Gideon that God was indeed with him. Gideon was a reluctant, scared, doubt-filled, insecure servant of God. And yet, he gets used dramatically, powerfully. And even that, without going into any details, is hopefully an encouragement to some here this morning. If you sense, and I know this is true for some, if you sense God has taken you in a particular direction, and you feel out of your depth, and you're frightened about what's involved and where you're at, it's okay. It's okay. God understands. God understands, and God is with you despite the challenges, despite your lack of self belief, despite even your lack of trust in God. If we go back to the narrative, Gideon is in place as the fifth judge in Israel. And he's gathered together, it says, an army of 32,000 men to fight the Midianite hordes. And so let's pick up the story. Verse one, chapter seven, and as we often do here at Windsor, please stand for the public reading of God's captivating word. Early in the morning, Gideon and all his men, that's the 32,000 of them, camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength, they will say, has saved me. Now, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. I, if I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they're saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend a dream. At a dream, he said, a round loaf of barley bread can tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other Then the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and he called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the 300 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets, broke their jars that were in the hands. The three companies blew the trumpets, smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands, holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position round the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Grab a seat. So, Gideon has 32,000 men. Bit of congregational participation. Does anyone know how many Midianite fighters were there. Now we don't know this stat until chapter 8, so you kind of need to know it. Does anyone know how many Midianites there were? 132,000, I hear you say. So (laughs) Gideon's army are outnumbered four to one, okay? At least that's the situation at the start. But the key in trying to get your head around what on earth is going on here and the, the, the chances of learning anything from this incident, are found in verse 2 of chapter 7. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. You see, God knew. God knew that if the Israelites defeated the Midianites, especially given the odds, that they would think they really were something that they were strong, that they were independent, that they were the main men, that they deserved the credit and the praise. And so God wanted to teach them or to remind them where their actual strength and power came from. That it was not about them. It was all about him. But the problem, or rather the reality is, that God's strength, is best discovered when you feel out of your depth God's strength is best known when you feel vulnerable fragile or to borrow a truth a phrase a fact from the new testament God's strength is made perfect in what weakness I love how F.F. Bruce paraphrases that verse from 2 Corinthians. My power, God's power, is most fully displayed when his people are weak. The Israelites, you see, needed a lesson in weakness. That is never comfortable. It's never easy. They needed to realize that sometimes God needs to strip us down and strip us back. Sometimes God needs to take us well outside and beyond our comfort zones. Sometimes God needs to allow certain things to happen to us that make little or no sense whatsoever in order to force us to lean in, to trust, to depend on him like we've never done before. So that when you get through this, whatever this is, when you come out the other side, when you achieve something, anything, success, victory, a breakthrough, whatever it is, you will always give God the glory. You'll never grab the credit or embrace the praise for yourself. You see, You cannot be too small or too insignificant for God to use, but you can be too big. And so, in one foul swoop, God reduces Gideon's army by 70%. He tells Gideon, Make a public announcement, Gideon, anyone who is afraid can go home. Now, Gideon is bound to have known that some would leave, but surely he can't have imagined that 22,000 would leg it leaving him with 10,000. If they were going to defeat the 132,000 now, it's going to be a minor miracle. And so you can only imagine Gideon's shock and horror whenever God then turns around after that and says, there's still too many. And so God reduces the number further via a drinking test. Gideon or God tells Gideon, Gideon, take the 10,000 men down to the river, get them to have a drink. Those who stick their heads in the river are to be rejected. And those who take the water in their cupped hands and lap it like a dog, they'll make up the final number. As it turns out, there are 300 lappers. And so 7,700 get sent home. Now, the odds have gone from four to one, to 450 to one, 132,000 versus 300. Just as a quick aside, some people have made a big deal about the fact that the lappers were chosen because their drinking decision proved they were on the ball. That they knelt down, that they brought up water to their mouths, and therefore they could keep an eye out for impending danger or an approaching army, whereas the others, they buried their heads in the river, they guzzled the water, and therefore they were poor soldiers. Whole sermons, chunks of them have taken this detail and majored on it, making the point that God is looking for Christian servicemen and women who are always alert and ever ready. non I I personally don't think, sorry if this upsets some people, I personally don't think there was anything right or wrong about the drinking method. Because I don't believe the text says it or implies it. Or to echo Dale Ralph Davis, so I'm in good sound company, the water drinking episode was simply Yahweh's mechanism for further reducing Gideon's army. This was about Gideon and the Israelites getting to a place of total dependence. This, for God and for the Israelites, was a crash course in weakness awareness. This was about getting them to recognize and accept their need of God, that if they got through this, it had to be about him. If they got through this, it was all because of his strength, all because he delivered them, all because he was their Savior, their Almighty God. Gideon's resources needed to be stripped right back, and oh my goodness, they were. And so now, this is serious. This is now frightening. And despite all the assurances, the fleece incidents, the appearance of the angel of the Lord that says, everything's going to be all right, God's with you, it's no wonder that even despite all of that, despite the number of reduction, Gideon is still terrified. Look at verse 10. God says to Gideon, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant. Verse 11, so he and his servant went down to the outpost of the camp. In other words, Gideon is still petrified. Despite all he knew, despite all he's been told, and I hope again that's a massive encouragement to someone here this morning because there are, and again I know this, there are lots of people here facing difficult situations, circumstances, and battles, and you know lots of important truths. You know so much about God. You have experienced his input into your life over years, some of you. But right now, Despite all of that, you're scared. And God understands. It's okay. And Gideon is still quaking in his boots. And so God sends him to eavesdrop on a conversation between two Midianites. One of them's had a rather bizarre dream about a loaf of bread crashing into a tent and wrecking it. And the other Midianite listens to his friend telling him about this dream, and he interprets it as a sign that Gideon's going to win the battle. And whenever Gideon overhears this conversation, there's only one appropriate response. He falls flat on his face, and he worships God. And isn't it interesting how God speaks into Gideon's life at a critical moment, a critical point in time, but he uses unexpected people and alternative ways. Even speaking into Gideon's life via his enemies and via people who were not one of his. And all I want to say this morning is this, listen carefully to what God might be saying into your life via surprising avenues surprising people. The time has then come and so Gideon goes to his 300 men and he puts in place a plan to launch an attack and so he divides the 300 into three groups of 100 and he arms them with trumpets and with empty jars with torches inside and he gets them to advance to the edge of the enemy camp at night time. And on his cue, they're to blow their trumpets, they're to shout loudly, they're to smash their clay jars, and they're to grab the torches. And when they do this, it turns out that the combined effect of doing all of this causes widespread panic amongst the Midianites. They're totally disorientated because they think the Israelites are bearing down on them, and so the Midianites start lashing out in all kinds of different directions, and all they end up doing is killing each other. And many of them run for the hills. And the victory is Gideon's, and Israel's, or it's the Lord's. And I just want to make a couple of final comments about this. You see, Gideon still played a part. Gideon still played his part, a massive part. He still devised an intelligent plan of attack. He didn't just rack up with his 300 men and expect everything to turn out all right without any input from him. He designed a plan of action with the resources he had. Yes, it was crazy. Yes, from a human perspective, this looked like a complete lost cause, but Gideon still did what he could with what he had, and the rest is history. And I suppose what I want to say out of that relates to the importance of us needing to think things through, needing to make plans, needing to set goals, needing to have vision, needing to take responsibility, being proactive where possible, yes, at a personal level, but also at a church level, recognizing, yes, we're weak, we must depend on God's help, God's strength, God's leading, God's sovereignty, but that does not mean we tone down or step back from human responsibility. This victory was God's doing, God's strength that saved them. They were to boast in God alone and recognize his presence and power. But it wasn't simply a case of letting go and letting God. Gideon cooperated. And therefore, if you're here this morning and you're facing or you're staring down an obstacle and a difficulty and you're feeling overwhelmed, yes, look to God. Lean in, trust, depend But play your part, cooperate with, partner with, do what you can with what you have. And the last thing I want to say takes us back to kind of the title for this series, Unsung Heroes. Because as I've said, Gideon is a well-known Bible character. Granted, he is a pretty unheroic one because he's constantly having to go back to God to check that God's really with him, that God's really for him. And again, that in itself, I hope, is an encouragement for you this morning. But it's the 300. It's the 300 that I want to kind of highlight as the unsung heroes in this incident. I know it wasn't about them. I hope I've made that abundantly clear. It was all about God. But I want you to imagine for a moment. How did those guys feel as they watched 31,000? 700 of their comrades heading back to their families and their homes for safety and comfort. How do you think those 300 felt? There's no record of how they reacted, how they processed what was going on. But here were 300 who were clearly up for a challenge. Here were 300 who were faithful. They did what was asked of them, despite how ridiculous it was, despite the daunting situation they faced and the strange game plan that Gideon had come up with. And for that reason, surely those 300 deserve a little more credit than they get, a little more publicity. And so as we leave here in a few moments, Let's never forget the truth and the fact that God can achieve amazing things through a relatively small group and band of faithful, obedient people who are willing to take risks and who believe, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We as a church will achieve nothing if we try to do anything by ourselves. If we think we're strong, if we think as a church we deserve any credit, any praise for whatever is going on here, we're beat before we step into a new church here. God needs to strip us down, strip us back, take us out of our depth, take us out of our comfort zones. Help us to realize it's not about us. It's all about him. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord because he is our strong deliverer.